0: Yeah! Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go! Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, run, unfolds, so! Jake on the table, and Ape on the place, no! Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical! Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that! Picking their brains, got their in lanes, but I like that! Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars Dropping bombs without no borders, dick got that eye, eye like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. more I am at a crossroads Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so Jake on the table and they on the, players, though. Peter the place though. He'd the plays, are analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So Jake on the table and they on the place though.
1: Hello and welcome into the Crossroads. My name's Peter Howard at P.A. Howdy on Twitter. I'm usually joined by my co-host Jake Anderson at Jake Anderson FF on Twitter. We are in fact a member of the DLF family of podcasts. We like to break down one player at a time from both a film and a metric point of view and try to come to a reasonable consensus or at least a decent argument. Um, if you're new, <laughs> Jake has been missing in action for a while now on the podcast, and it's mostly just been me going on various different rants about myths and trends in the NFL during the off season. I really thought we might get Jake back for this week. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen, and it's just me, right, Jake? I got you. For a second there, you thought he was back. No, um, he, he couldn't make it tonight. Um, fortunately there's just still too much going on, but he should, could, will be, we hope, back for the season. As you might guess from the later release in the week here, I'm, I'm slowing down my schedule here. I've got to move the podcast a bit further. We don't do immediate action stuff anyway. Um, we more do start, sit, or dynasty perspectives on individual players, so... Um, it doesn't have to be released before waivers run. And frankly, where I'm trying to get my player projections out and updated before I ever start thinking about a podcast each week, it's just becoming too much in the first three days um, from Monday to Wednesday. So yeah, I'm pushing it back a little bit here, maybe to Friday releases. Um, I'm sure you're all terribly upset about that. But um, I got a mind splurge at you for, uh, for an entire 30-minute podcast here, or hopefully just 20 minutes. ...for all of our sakes. And there's a lot going on in the NFL right now. The Thursday night game was uh, oh, oh so terrible... Um, and i got a lot of thoughts on it, but I've been writing an article for DLF every week and I can keep doing that throughout this season, looking at target share and snap rates to try and track and find usage trends. And also some players that are uh, underperforming their usage, so they might regress um, in the immediate week. And there was a few things just bugging me about usage in 2019. Um, I didn't get to finish most of the research. Uh, for my article. Um, So I wanted to put a little bit of that into this podcast and also talk about some of the things I found and then wrote up in the article as well. Most of the research I do gets put out on my Patreon feed or in my article or uh, on Twitter, Uh, normally all three. So check those out if you're interested in, uh, I post target shares, snap shares, stuff like that, if you're looking for that kind of data and information. But Yeah, the thing that was bugging me was all these um, 30 30 target share percentile people. Like, um, there's a lot of players with 30% of their team's targets. I mean, Adam Thielen did it in week one with only three targets, for example. Um, And I was wondering, I thought that when I went to look um, at like a five-year history back to 2014, I'd find that we were seeing a high number of players with um, this high target share in the first two weeks and it was bound to regress pretty soon here but when I looked at just the first two weeks all the way back to 2014, what I found is the average for wide receivers is actually something like seven players having a 30% share of their team's targets or more, and target share is just the percentage of targets, right? And through such a small sample, it's only so useful um, this early in the season but I thought that was interesting. This year we've got six, and through the first two weeks six wide receivers have a 30% share of their offensive uh, targets or more in 2018, it was actually 11 through the first two weeks. So this isn't even a high uh, year. This is actually a fairly average number. 2015 and 2018 show huge target shares through the first two weeks. And even when I regress that forward, like um, I looked at the first four weeks through those years, I found that the target share didn't dip dramatically just adding two more weeks. So despite the fact that through the first two weeks we have something like uh, what what I say here? We've got we've got five six seven players all with 30 percent of their team's targets right now and um, including marcus brown by the way um like that isn't gonna disappear right away but if you look at a yearly average which obviously i did because i'm sad and this is what i do for fun Um, we should expect those huge target shares to definitely drop i mean you do get 30 percent target shares um, nine since 2014 for our entire season have existed, two of them owned by DeAndre Hopkins um, and he currently owns a 30% target share actually he owns uh, an extreme target share over 30%, he's actually currently at 36% so even DeAndre Hopkins is probably going to regress at least back down to that 30% number, Keenan Allen and Michael Thomas are both over 35% as well, they should come back down um, but all three of them could easily end up with 30% of their team's targets by the end of the year but looking at the average for for entire seasons we shouldn't really expect more really than one or two players to have this level of target Um, in fact 2014 and 2015 are the only Two years since 2014, where more than one player had a 30% target share. And um, right now, like I said, there are seven, so we're five or so above the average players having that much of their offensive production concentrated than them through targets. Also, I found some interesting things while doing this um, in terms of tight ends and uh, running backs. I was looking at tight ends with uh, 20% of their team targets for an entire season. And 2014, 15, and 16, and even 2017, the average ran around five players with 20% or more of their team's targets. 2018, um, only three players had 20% uh, of their team's targets. This isn't anything new, but I thought it was interesting that it popped back up again, that tight end usage has drastically dropped in 2018. And in 2019, it's probably going to stay stable. Um, about eight uh, tight ends right now have 20% or more of their team's targets. And again, since this is just the first two weeks, that's probably going to regress back towards uh, a lower average, um, including 2018. So we can expect that to drop to about four players um, instead of eight. by the end of the season. Uh, Who are those players? That's that's a really good question. Uh, Greg Olson, Travis Kelsey, Delaney Walker, Darren Waller, George Kittle, Evan Ingram, Zach Ertz and Mark Andrews all have over 20% and um, they all seem like really strong cases to have 20% of their team's targets if we were to guess though so I think Greg Olsen is probably going to fall out by the end of the season but the others it would be hard to decide and um, running backs on the other hand I was looking at running backs with greater than 15% target share and since 2014 we've seen a dramatic increase uh, season long um, of running backs having 15% or more of their team's targets again this was nothing new we talked about it a little in the offseason and so did a lot of people 2018 we saw 12 players at the running position have 15% of their team's targets or more. And 2017, it was 8%. 2016 to 2014, um, it's 3 3 I mean, it really went up from 2017 on. Right now, we have 12 players in 2019 at the running back position with 12% of the team's targets. I would expect that to increase rather than decrease going in, uh, going forward for the rest of this season. Um, And if you look at the players uh, at the running back position currently holding those target shares, none of them are going to surprise you. It's Le'Veon Bell. Chris Thompson might surprise you. He's actually underperformed that volume a little bit, so he has some sneaky flex appeal, uh, Tyreek Cohen, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, Chris Carson, and another surprise, Leonard Fournette, Leonard Fournette's currently occupying an 80% target share, and outside of one, his very last run was 69 yards, um, nice in Thursday night football. Before that, most of them were negative runs, so his box score is going to look a lot better than the game actually went. That is kind of the the curse of variance. so he's getting such high usage right now with 76% uh, of his team's rushing attempts, 18% of his target attempts. He's on the field for 92% of their snaps through the first two weeks, and I'm guessing that didn't change last night based on what I saw or didn't see because I don't watch because I'm a stat nerd, obviously. So Leonard Fournette's getting incredible volume, and if he holds up under it, we can expect more variants like that 69-yard run. His numbers should keep coming just with the sheer usage that he's getting from that team right now, um, even with Gardner menchu the legend himself, at the helm. Despite the fact that through the next... Four weeks, um, I don't think we should see a dramatic shift. I do think we're going to see a drop-off in the number of players owning 30% or more or even 20% or more of their team's offense. That's just uh, numbers normalizing as other players got opportunity. So I thought maybe if we dig into one particular situation and remind ourselves about how target share works and how we might be overestimating efficiency in one particular instance, um, it might remind us of the value of target share, especially when we're thinking for the rest of the season versus right now or or the immediacy of start-sit decisions tends to skewer ideas somewhat. And the one that came to mind was actually um, the, the Chiefs with uh, DeMar- uh, Demarcus Robinson going off uh, what was it, over 30 points last week or something. And as someone who once got into a vicious argument with someone uh, well, it wasn't that vicious or that argumentative, but I argued that Demarcus Robinson was going to be the guy of a Tyreek Hill. I was convinced. Uh, that didn't work out, but there are positive signs in Demarcus Robinson's college profile, which is where the argument came from. He's like the Rashad Higgins of the Chiefs, he just keeps sticking around because he's good at football. Um, and he knows what's to do, and he's athletic enough. And when called upon, he can do a good job. Now, I think the thing to note is that, despite the fact that Marcus Robinson has been added off of a waiver of wire, obviously, and should be, we shouldn't expect that to happen again or you know, hit that level of production to happen at all for Robinson, even in enough offense where he should be a viable wide receiver three, maybe with Tyreek Hill on, uh, well, he's on the injured reserve. I'm not sure, but he's definitely out for a significant period of time. He's already equaling McCall Harbin's targets. Both of them last week got six targets um, each um Darren Williams got or Damian Williams got five. and um, Travis Kelsey got nine. And the guy I want to point out is Sammy Watkins. I've never been the biggest fan of Sammy Watkins, who's a decent college profile. Don't get me wrong. Um but we know we know the ups and downs of Sammy Watkins' career right now. But like through two weeks he has 24 targets. He's been the target leader both weeks. Um, and in week two, the week that DeMarcus Robinson went off, he got 13 targets. Now, I have seen people saying they're really excited to start DeMarcus Robinson this week, as you should be, as a wide receiver flex and a powerful offense. He has a lot of upside. But that's what target share tells us. DeMarcus Robinson has a, like a 7.1% um, target rate on the season, And he's had uh, six and two targets for the first two weeks. Now, we should expect his targets to remain more around six, right? Um, So a little higher than the 7% average for the first two weeks because he did so well in week two. And that's probably going to earn him uh, or help him earn uh, a few more targets than he got in week one. Um, And also, this says, I think, you know, kind of mediocre things about McCall Hardman, that Marcus Robinson, the the evergreen Rashad Higgins of this offense, not only equals his target share, but did a lot more with it. He was the one working down the field, for example, not the speedster they reached for or whatever. But target share and usage and volume, the reason we targeted it is you can't expect a player to keep catching 100-yard touchdowns. That's the problem with boom-or-bust guys, as they're mostly inaccurately described. I mean, Demarcus Robinson shouldn't be expected to be the guy who's going to produce in week three. It should be Sammy Watkins. And I'm not anywhere near Sammy Watkins truther. I don't think I own him on a dynasty roster because I've, I've never felt particularly high on him, and there's always someone who is. But through two weeks... He hasn't had less than 10 targets on the most powerful offense in the league, except maybe Baltimore now, I guess. And everyone's excited about the guy who got six targets last week, which was the, what was it? It was it was fourth on the team, joint third on the team, um, in terms of overall volume. The reason we target volume is because that efficiency is not sticky. He's not going to just get that. And maybe he will and make me look like uh, an idiot because sometimes that happens. That's the problem with variance. And he's a good player, who might get a lot of usage in high-value situations. But the expectation should be that Sammy Watkins is still the play here. That's the value of target share and looking at the overall volume. The problem with wide receivers in general is they touch the ball so little that it makes it a more volatile position. A running back touches the ball in two phases of the game, which simply means they get more touches. Like a floor for a good running back is 15 touches. That's 15 opportunities to score you points. Wide receivers, if we're lucky, get 10. Sammy Watkins level. If we're unlucky, they get the Marcus Robinson six targets. If they get less than that, then you done messed up on the waiver wire what you're doing playing that guy. You should really be expecting yourself to be good enough to get players on your roster that get six targets or more. If you don't, then that was a mistake or something went drastically wrong with the game plan because, you know, stuff happens. Like, and as excited as I am seeing Marcus Robinson do well, target share and opportunity tell you to lean Sammy Watkins as a start, not to Marcus Robinson. And I honestly think that's being confused first time because of the the, the strange um, wonder of the Chiefs' offense. So I just thought I'd point that out. That's why we look at opportunity. That's why we look at volume. That's why target share matters. So what does the fact that we're likely going to see a drop in the number of players with such a high target share in two thousand? M19 mean well one thing I'm not sure it's going to drop as drastically as you expect I think there is a high concentration of targets going on this year and it's interesting it makes a lot of players more valuable than they typically be a wide receiver tight end and running back and that's great but we should also expect some of the ancillary weapons to have spike weeks um, and maybe some of those guys that we drafted in the 8th 9th and 10th rounds to finally maybe have a few more targets as the targets share diffuses a little more through different offenses um, so if you're holding on to someone who's doing well but hasn't had significant volume, so hasn't been able to do well with it, players that have had like 10 targets or less so far, like Trey Quinn, Robbie Anderson, um, Mohamed Sadu, uh, Cody Ladd had 13, nice, Um Marcus Valdez-Scantling's had 12, and he got most of those in the first week. Keyshawn Johnson had 12 in the first week as well. Adam Thielen, that's a different situation entirely. Um, Randall Cobb got 11 overall on the season like these guys are probably going to start getting a little more volume as target shares diffuse through offenses throughout the course of the season so like don't don't drop Randall Cobb I guess is what I'm saying especially since you know Michael Gallup just got hurt. but that's um, The other thing that I've been looking at a lot this week in terms of opportunity is uh, red zone work. I do a red zone expected value calculation every week. I thought some interesting things came up when I looked at the total number of touches in the red zone by team. Baltimore currently leads the league with 31 touches. That's either a reception or a rushing attempt inside the 20-yard line. New England is second with 27, but Denver is actually third with 26. Now, for the season, the average is 15 touches inside the red zone which is like one less than New York Giants so you really don't want an average offense just in case that's not clear. In terms of red zone work, red zone work is a key sign that the team is moving the ball down the field and getting scoring opportunities and that's why Baltimore's at the top. It's been such a great offense. But Denver being third in overall touches inside the red zone I thought was pretty interesting and Philadelphia comes in fourth as 25th and the Rams come in Um, fifth with 24 touches inside the red zone. Kansas City Chiefs are next, followed by Arizona, Oakland, Washington. Dallas, interestingly enough, despite being a really good offense to target this offseason, really good offense to play um, every week at the moment, um, it actually only comes in uh, as the 10th highest offense in terms of red zone touches. And again, that's the value of Amari Cooper and really Michael Gallup just scoring long-distance touchdowns and also gaining long-distance ground. Um, on deeper targets and being efficient with yards after the catch. So um, that caught my eye too, that Dallas is getting um, higher higher variance scoring opportunities. And with the loss of Michael Gallup, that might have more of an impact than we necessarily expect. Although that team's just rolling right now. So I wouldn't like to say anything bad about them, to be honest with you. So I also break down, uh, again, to get an expected value calculation, I break it down by individual players. So I was looking at who's getting the most touches in each offense. Um, and On Baltimore, something that I thought was really eye opening is that uh, Gus Edwards, the running back, known once. Um, actually has the highest number of red zone opportunities for Baltimore which has the highest number of attempts in the red zone. He's only got 25% of his team's touches inside the red zone with 8 and most of them come in rushing opportunities at all different depths inside the 20 inside the 15. He's got 3 inside the 5 but once we get inside the 5 the work really seems divided between Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards. Mark Ingram has the the lead there. He's got 7 inside the the 10 yard line and Gus Edwards edwards only has four and inside the five itself then um, ingram has two and gus edwards has three so it's really divided in the most valuable area in the end zone itself and um, but gus edwards is getting the most opportunity inside the 20 yard line and eventually the idea is he hasn't scored a single touchdown on those rushing attempts and he's getting no targets because he's just a runner you really will never catch a pass in the NFL I'm pretty sure. If that usage keeps up, and that's what usage tells us, we can only say if it continues what should happen. Gus Edwards is gonna score a touchdown, or maybe even two. So I just wanted to put that in someone's radar if you need a really deep DFS flyer or someone to roster maybe for a quick value flip um, or marking room gets hurt. Um, or something terrible, uh, or something good, like moves to Fiji, opens up a wine bar, or whatever Mark Ingram wants to do with the rest of his life. Um, Gus Edwards might get uh, some significant touchdown work at some point in some game in, in in the near future. The second highest red zone volume offense is New England, and no one's surprised. Sonny Michel is leading the team there, also with eight. But he's also got a much higher percentage of those touches, where they have slightly less. So 29% of the overall team's... Touches inside the red zone, and uh, Sonny Michel isn't getting targeted a lot, but uh, he's also not being targeted in the red zone. Sorry, I thought he had some. No, nope, no. Nope. Denver, that surprise team that has 26 targets, the third highest, 26 opportunities inside the red zone. Um, Emmanuel Sanders actually leads that team with seven, but Philip uh, Lindsay actually has six, and he has both rushing and Passing opportunities inside the red zone, unlike Sony Michel. He's got two targets, and um, both inside the 20, not inside the 10. Um, but he has uh, basically all the touches inside the 15-yard, 10-yard, and 5-yard line um, with a total of four for the Denver Broncos. Now, Lindsay's in a very, very tight target and snap share split right now. Like, they're splitting the snaps almost directly down the middle, and Lindsay's really holding on to the, the workhorse uh, moniker through his target share. He gets more targets, a significant number more than Royce Freeman. Um, again, only through two weeks, so it's a small sample. Um, but that's how Lindsay's holding on to his number one status right now. I think draft Games actually has Royce Freeman priced above Lindsay right now. But um, And while I like that as a dynasty play, like coaches suck, eventually they're going to... Lean draft capital for no good reason because Philip Lindsay is good. But right now, Lindsay's getting the red zone work from those sucky coach- coaches at the running back position in two areas of the game. Um, And they have the highest red zone offense so far, or the third highest in the league right now. So I think he's an interesting, uh, at least, touchdown target. Or maybe he's going to get a spike week here pretty soon, going into week four. Um, uh, And he caught my eye as well. There's a whole bunch here. Again, I post target shares and this red zone breakdown uh, on Patreon and also on Twitter free. Uh, You you can go. It's on Patreon because it's another fun place for me to talk to people about football. But it's not like um, um some things are Patreon only, but this this isn't. Is the point? So the other thing that caught my eye is uh, in Oakland, um they have 21 touches inside the red zone. Guess who has 12 of them with 57% of all red zone touches? Josh Jacobs. Yeah, not not a surprise really. And um, something that has caught my eye in my target share article is Josh Jacobs. I thought he if he was going to do well he's going to be more of a three down back based on what more sample we had of him suggested he was capable of he's getting barely any um receiving work which is actually a concern for him uh, long term I think but right now the offense is kind of rolling um, and that's why I have the, that's why they have uh, uh, 21 touches inside the red zone and Josh Jacobs literally has 12 rushing attempts all different depths five inside the 20 and um, three inside the 10, two inside the five, so on and so forth. So, um, so far he's been doing well on them too. He's he's run, run for two touchdowns on them and been slightly efficient. So he's not due any regression, but if that usage keeps up, he should continue to be a really good fantasy play. All right, uh, so that's a red zone breakdown um, and a few players that caught my eye in it. Um, the players that I wrote up for DLF in my target share article this week that seem to be underperforming huge amounts of volume in their offense going into week three... Uh well Austin Eckler and Derek Henry are actually overproducing a little bit based on their volume, but I think both of them are fairly comfortable starts, even despite what happened here on Thursday night. Um they're they're just definitely being used as the guys. Um Austin Eckler is in much less of a split than other backfields like um Devontae Freeman or um Philip Lindsay. I mean Austin Eckler is leading um the backfield there. He's not just Barely keeping Jackson at bay. Jackson's doing well and being efficient, but um Lindsay's definitely the guy there. Um Sammy Watkins is actually technically overproducing because his week one was still so good, but again, his targets are significant. I would expect production to roll back his way eventually. Um unless Demarcus Robinson's um touchdowns drastically increase going into week four. The other guys were Corey Davis. Oh god. Let's just not let's just not right now. Um, that's a bigger conversation I want to get into with someone. Um, but he's still even tonight. He's leading the offense as a wide receiver. That just doesn't matter much at the moment. It's it's Lady Walker a bust, uh, frankly. Breaking down different backfields, something that I notice is Devonte Freeman, despite being in a fairly even split. Um, or more even split than you might think with Edo Smith. He has 56% of the team's snaps, uh, and Edo um, Smith has 44%. And the reason I'm breaking it down by snaps by running backs, for the way, is that snaps and snap percentage are actually more predictive of fantasy points than rushing attempts. So the fact that Devontae Freeman has 56% of the team's rushing attempts is actually less significant than the fact he has a near even split with Edo Smith with um, snaps. However... Devante Freeman's gone through two tough matchups. Week 3 will be his easiest matchup, and even though they are on an even split, he is dominating the rushing work and getting a 9% target share, which is 4% more than Edo Smith, um, he is coming back off a, a, a season where he only played two games in 2018 and coming back from an injury and facing two of the tougher matchups, he'll get this season right up front. So I actually expect that run, uh, Freeman to bounce back a little bit, to at least running back two standards. I think we can kind of start to expect that. Um, rather than not, he's a tough start. Maybe in week uh, three or four, but um, season long, if uh, whoever has him is really upset, because he's had like a total of eight points, I think, out of Devontae Freeman so far. Um, and you're short on running backs. Like he uh, is someone that I might consider trying to get on your squad one way or the other. Um, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, I'm actually really concerned, but this isn't because of what's happening. The split is really clear between Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. I mean, um, they have a similar snap split as Devontae Freeman and Edo Smith and a similar rushing split. Aaron Jones has 65% of the team's rushing attempts. Jamal Williams has 25. Um, Aaron Jones has 11% of the targets. Jamal Williams has one percent of the targets. So, I mean, Aaron Jones is working as a workhouse running back this year, which is great. And then the coaches come out and different coaches this time come out and say the same thing that they want to even up the touches. Now, I've heard TJ Hernandez from the 4-4-4 podcast say that doesn't matter, just look at the usage, but through two weeks, this is dividing a number by two, and I remember how painful that first week was still, and I've seen this before. For some reason, Green Bay does not trust Aaron Jones, and they should, because he's really good, but Aaron Jones makes me a little nervous, but TJ Hernandez is a hell of a vote of confidence, so I'm trying to maintain the faith right now to be honest because um, if he continues to get that usage he's going to be phenomenal and if he doesn't well we know what that looks like um, and also just in case no one got the memo David Montgomery became the workhouse back for Chicago and Mike Evans Mike Davis sorry is finally pushed to the back a little bit and um, Tyree Cohen is basically a really good wide receiver too right now so start him as such um, but he gets on the field more than most wide receiver twos, so he's actually a much easier flex uh, th- than wide receiver twos themselves. Um, the other player I want to mention, because I keep mentioning him and I keep hating myself for it, M- Mike Evans is going to produce at some point, guys. Like, I- I'm enjoying the Chris Godwin party as much as anyone, um, but uh, Mike Evans is getting still all the air yards, and he's got 22% of the team's targets. Even for Mike Evans' level inefficiency, his 0.38 racer is kind of insane. Uh, We know he's slightly better than that. We know the team's struggling. um, And we know Chris Godwin suffers from none of that because he's just a much better all round player. I really do think he's a more efficient and therefore better player. But Mike Evans is continuing to attract high-value volume. um, And that's going to revert back to points. Right now he has 14 total PPR points on the season, 7 per game. Mike Evans' day is coming for all those truthers waiting out there. Um, and so true is probably Adam Thielen if the, the team gets forced to throw more than three times um, in week three. I would I would expect Adam Thielen to continue to put up at least double-digit points as the one, and he has upside potential. So keep those guys in your lineups um, if you're trying to make those kind of decisions. So anyway, there's a lot more here that I don't want to break down, but I kind of Ran out my time talking about one thing or another, obviously. And I've got to get out of here and keep the thing under 30 minutes and not completely ruin it in season before Jay even managed to get back. So if you have any questions about usage or you want to see some of that information or you want to hear about a particular running back, Depth Chart Breakdown, either read my article on DLF or contact me on Twitter at P.A. Howdy. Contact the show at Dino Crossroads anytime and let us know what you'd like to hear me or Jake discuss. We prefer to discuss one situation at a time. Tonight's more of a I've noticed a whole bunch of things, and there's no one here to tell me otherwise, so I thought I'd just mention it. Um, Hopefully some of that information was interesting to you. Thanks again for coming to Crossroads. I hope you had some fun, maybe found something out, and I promise one day, uh, the good one, Jake, will be back, and the podcast will be a lot better for it. So appreciate you all. Talk to you next week, and have a good time till then. That film and analytics create. The dynastic crossroads that film and analytics create. Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape. It's the dynastic crossroads where film is everything. On crossroad where numbers are
0: the key There may not be consensus, but we'll give you everything